Welcome to the podcast, Finding My Fit. I'm Athena, your host, and I hope you're ready for another amazing episode. Finding My Fit is your go-to for health, fitness, self-love, and eating disorder recovery. I'm here to bring you up-to-date, scientifically-based evidence and research, as well as spreading positivity and helping you guys learn how to love yourself. If you're enjoying my podcast, I would love for you to leave a five-star review over on iTunes and check out my Instagram, Finding My Fit Podcast. For information on my health, nutrition, or eating disorder recovery coaching, head over to my website, findingmyfit.co.uk. Let's get on into the episode. So hello everybody and welcome back to another podcast episode. Today we're talking all about muscle memory and how you can maintain and regain muscle. So this is going to be one for those of you who like to weight train, you're looking to grow muscle, maximize muscle growth, look lean, toned, muscular, whatever your goal around muscle growth and fitness, you're going to want to listen to this episode. Let's face it, most of us, well, most of us in the fitness world are desperate to get back into heavy resistance training. I know I am. I'm actually recording, I'm not sure when this is going to go live, but I'm actually recording this before the gyms open in the UK. So currently they are all closed and they have been for a number of months. I mean, they've pretty much been closed since last March, March 2020, and they've been open like a couple of months here and there, but nothing major and for most of the year they have been closed so even though we were able to do like bodyweight exercises and banded exercises at home most of us don't have dumbbells or weights that are heavy enough to actually properly train like we do when we're at the gym so it's just not the same really you can definitely make some gains in a home setting with little to no equipment, especially if you're very new to working out, but it's a lot harder. And if you're more experienced and your muscles are used to lifting heavy, it's quite difficult to replicate that at home. So let's go through some of the short-term detraining responses. So by that, I mean the short-term responses in our body that happen when we stop training for a certain amount of time. So capillary density decreases, but it will remain at 50% higher than in a sedentary person or than your pre-training number of capillaries. So by that, I mean, yes, your capillary density will decrease if you're used to training and you stop, but you will still have 50% more capillaries in your muscles and in your body than somebody who does not train at all or than your pre-training self. Your VO2, so your maximum oxygen input and output, will decrease due to a decrease in your stroke volume. That's to do with your lung capacity. There are no myoglobin changes. Skeletal muscle citrate synthase enzymes, they can decrease by 25 to 45%. And skeletal muscle breakdown of proteins and fats may also decrease by 45 to 75%. Whereas the fat tissue enzymes can increase by 86%, which favours the storage of fat tissue instead of muscle tissue. So yes, that sounds kind of scary. You know, our bodies are going to then put down fat instead of muscle, which it is the case. When you think about it, if you're not challenging your muscles and you're no longer lifting super heavy, your body's going to think, oh, well, I don't need a lot of this muscle. So any excess calories that you eat are more likely to be stored as fat. 
Not necessarily, but they're just more likely to. There may also be a reduced aerobic capacity. However, a lot of studies I've read kind of said that aerobic capacity can maintain at a certain level for quite a while, even after you stop training. Another few studies that I read kind of said that even if your aerobic capacity decreases significantly, like when you stop training, they reduce to around a third of normal training volume. But that's it. They won't literally, obviously your aerobic capacity, your ability to utilise oxygen and exercise in the aerobic training system is not going to completely go to zero. You know, you're still going to be capable of doing some amount of aerobic exercise, even if you stop training regularly, but it'll stop at around a third of your normal training volume. A lot of studies have showed that untrained participants or those who train recreationally so not necessarily kind of they're not really into the gym they don't go all the time they're not regular with it because most people who are really into it would never even enter this study they show that those who train for 10 weeks consistently they show an increase in strength and then when these participants are told to stop training after this 10 weeks they found that those participants lost around half of the strength that they had gained during the 10 weeks of training. In a larger scale, if you think about your whole life, three months makes very little difference if you are used to training a lot and consistently. And if you've been training for years and years and you've been really pushing yourself, building muscle, gaining strength for, say, five years, 10 years a few months off the gym is not going to make that much of a difference in the grand scheme of things, even though it feels like it will. Once you start getting back into training, you will gain a lot of that muscle back fairly quickly. And that is due to something called muscle memory, which I'm going to get onto in a second. Another study where women trained twice a week and they were squatting around six to eight reps, they did this for 20 weeks straight. And this was followed by 30 weeks of detraining and then six weeks of retraining. So they trained for 20, they had 30 weeks off, and then they trained for another six weeks. The study showed that these women experienced a 67% increase in strength over the first 20 weeks of training in those who were generally untrained, so they weren't used to going to the gym. And there was only a 13% decrease in strength after the 30 weeks that they took off. 13%, that's it. And that shows that this strength that we build going to the gym consistently is very resistant to dropping. That literally 13% is 30 weeks of detrain. That's almost, that's like two thirds of a year. And then when they started training again after this 30 weeks, not only did they get back to the same strength, the same abilities that they were after the first 20 weeks, but they actually got a little bit stronger than that. So it shows that we train, we gain muscle, we gain strength. And even if we detrain for a certain amount of time, once we start going to the gym again and start lifting weights again, our body gets back to that stage of strength that we were at before. And then it goes even further. The main point is that following a large increase in strength after a long period of really good training, even if you take a few months off, you are going to see a decrease in strength, but it's not going to be a ton. It's not going to be the end of the world. And it's not going to be impossible to gain that strength back again. So let's talk a little bit about muscle memory. 
So we know that the body can retain information and memory. An example that has been well evidenced and accepted is the stored memory in immune cells after we're exposed to a certain pathogen or antigen. So take, I'm trying to think of an example. Is it, is it measles that when you get vaccinated, you're then vaccinated for life, I think. And basically, it's like the way vaccines work, they give you a bit of the uh, pathogen of the bacteria or the virus. Our bodies produce a response to that bacteria or virus, and we store what is known as memory B cells in our immune system. And these B cells are there for life, and they will scan the bloodstream so that if they encounter that same pathogen years down the line, they can get rid of it quickly. So that is like a form of memory in our bodies, in our immune system. And the early ideas of memory in this sense were shown by the Dutch famine, which was in 1944 to 1945, so just around the Second World War ending. And it affected women in the first trimester of pregnancy. And it was associated with an increased prevalence of coronary heart disease, raised fats and obesity in the offspring and raised lipid profiles and obesity in the offspring. Severe malnutrition during late pregnancy was related to an impaired glucose tolerance in the babies when they were born, and this carried these babies on into adult life. So it's kind of like the mother's pregnancy, like the memory of the pregnancy was still with the child when they were born, if that makes sense. And fetuses of mothers who were restricted of nutrients during pregnancy, these fetuses or these babies have decreased mTOR and S6K pathways. Now, these are pathways involved in energy production and insulin regulation and even aging and a bunch of different important cell processes. A lot of these fetuses that were born to mothers who were restricted during their pregnancy actually had reduced muscle fiber size and reduced numbers of secondary muscle fibers. A low protein diet in pregnant ladies led to an increase in myostatin production. So myostatin is a muscle growth regulator. When these mothers were on a low protein diet, the offspring had increased myostatin. It negatively regulated muscle mass and possibly altered the offspring's muscle composition later in life so it kind of it's not just with them as a baby it's with them for life just want to point out that that last study was on pigs not humans so yeah take of that what you will so i've now i've blabbed on about memory in the body in general particularly to do with pregnancy but anyway um we'll talk about muscle memory so this refers to previously trained muscles ability to regain strength and size faster than an untrained muscle. So the idea is that skeletal muscle possess the capacity to respond differently to different stimuli, such as weight training, if they have previously encountered this particular stimuli. So there's definitely some kind of central nervous system involvement and motor learning when it comes to muscle memory. It's not just we lift some weights and our muscles remember shit. It's like we lift some weights and the muscles, the central nervous system and our motor skills are all kind of encompassed in that memory. In vitro studies showed that skeletal muscle cells remember the stem cell niche that the donor cell was derived from. This is shown using cells from physically active, obese 
and sarcopenic individuals. So active people, obese people, and those who suffer with sarcopenia, which is muscle loss. Also, human stem cells derived from skeletal muscle of cancer patients actually showed an overactive cell division compared to age match controls. So basically, cancer is characterized by over... Um, what's the word? Mm-mm. Uncontrollable, that's the word. Uncontrollable cell division. So when they took the stem cells from these patients who suffered with cancer from the skeletal muscle, they also showed this uncontrollable cell division. So it's like a memory. They're outside of the body, but they still have this memory. Similarly, there are mice studies. So there were mice exposed to testosterone quite early on in their life. And these mice had a 31% increase in their muscle cross-sectional area, so the size of their muscle fibres, after some form of mechanical load. So like like we would weightlift, that's like a mechanical load. So the mice that had this testosterone exposure early in life grew more muscle after being exposed to mechanical load compared to mice who didn't get exposed to testosterone. And that suggests that these mice's muscles are remembering this testosterone from earlier in life and therefore they put on new muscle more easily. So now I'm going to talk about satellite cells. So myofibers, which are our muscle fibers, contain hundreds of nuclei that are, they kind of sit all along the length of the myofiber. An individual myonucleus in the muscle cell is responsible for synthesis of new muscle organelles, structural proteins, and during overloading, so during our weightlifting session when we're lifting super heavy and we're pushing our muscles to the max, we're stimulating hypertrophy. And this kind of happens because extra nuclei are added into the myofibers from muscle stem cells called satellite cells. So hypertrophy occurs because of protein synthesis, but it can also, but it's also because when satellite cells are activated in our muscle cells, a nucleus from the satellite cell is donated into the muscle fiber. So it's kind of, it's like the satellite cell is giving itself up to the muscle fiber because we need it. We need the extra nucleus because we're pushing our muscles. We need new muscle fibers to be placed down. Someone with fewer satellite cells around a myofiber has a lower capacity to grow. Higher satellite cells means that the person might respond very well and very easily to training, so they might put muscle on very quickly. And there is a lot of evidence suggesting that when we... So when a satellite cell donates its nucleus into a muscle fibre, when we have stimulated hypertrophy, there's a lot of evidence to show that these satellite cells actually remain in the muscle regardless of whether we continue training or not. So if we stop training and we stop going to the gym after a number of years of hypertrophy training. So we've built all this muscle and then we decide we don't want to train anymore for a bit, we're having a break. Studies show that those satellite cells, those nuclei from the satellite cells stay in our muscles. And this means that when we start training again after a break, we can put muscle on more easily because these satellite cell nuclei are already in our muscle fibers. And of course, you do have to think that Generally, if you have trained for a number of years and then you take a bit of time off and then you go back into the gym, you kind of already know what you're doing. 
you're already that kind of person that knows how to train because you've been doing it for years. So again, your body is probably more likely to put muscle on because you're going straight back into training with correct form. You know how to overload correctly, all that kind of stuff compared to someone who's never trained before. So previously trained high nuclei muscles. So muscles who have had a lot of satellite cells have donated their nucleus to them in order to grow the muscle. These muscles then have a predisposition to hypertrophy in the future because they already have these satellite cell nuclei. A study on rats showed an increase in muscle mass and myonuclei after exercise and following 20 weeks of detraining, which is about 15 human years in comparison, there were no significant reductions in the number of myonuclei in the in the rat muscles even when the rats had significant atrophy so even when the muscles lost even when the muscles even when the rats lost a lot of muscle the studies showed that they still had the same number of myonuclei which means that if these rats were then to start exercising again they would put muscle on very quickly or more quickly than when they first started exercising and they had very few myonuclei. There are studies that show that hypertrophy can occur without new myonuclei being added to the muscle, provided that that individual already has a very high number of myonuclei already. And the only way you would get a higher number of myonuclei is by training consistently for a number of years and then The idea is that they then stay in the muscle and you can then grow new muscle in the future even without adding extra myonuclei into your muscle. And there is also a hypothesis called peak pegging. This sounds really weird to me. I don't know why. I just really don't like the words peak pegging. It sounds weird. But yeah. And this is where the number of myonuclei found in a muscle fibre represents the largest size that the fibre has ever been. So I've mentioned that in order to grow generally or a lot of studies show that when a muscle grows, when hypertrophy happens, we obtain new myonuclei in the muscle fibres. So the more we grow, the more myonuclei we should have in our fibres. That makes sense. So there is the peak pegging hypothesis that states that we can tell how big a muscle has been at any point in its lifetime simply by looking at and counting the number of myonuclei. So now I've got all the boring sciencey stuff out of the way, I'm going to give you some tips and tricks on how you can grow muscle and retain that muscle. So listen up if you are one who has missed the gym, you can't wait to get back, but you're afraid you're going to have lost a bunch of muscle. Don't overdo it. That is my first tip, and that goes for frequency, volume, or load. If you've not been to the gym in months, don't train every day in the first week. Don't go back and lift 100kg if that was your one rep max a year ago, and you've not trained or deadlifted since then. Don't go ham and do 42 sets on your first workout back. Let your body get back into the swing of it. Take it slow. Be kind to your body. Obviously, there is an increased risk of injury here when you've not been working out for very long or when when you've not been working out for ages. So be careful. You don't want to injure yourself and then not be able to go to the gym for like a further six weeks because you've hurt your back or your foot. Yes, don't overdo it, but also don't underdo it. So don't underestimate your strength. I've met, I've told you that you do retain a lot of your muscle and your strength even after detraining. So having a few months off, having even up to a year off on and off 
will probably not reduce your muscle strength or your muscle size as much as you think. So, you know, go in, do start as a off, off at, why can I not speak? Do start off at a low weight, but don't go super easy on yourself to the point where you don't even feel like you've worked out. The idea is to go in easy and slow and gradually build yourself back up, even if you've only been doing home workouts or even if you've just been doing regular cardio or walking outside for the past year. Begin your workouts with the harder sets and the compound lifts so that if you get super tired because you're not used to working out as much in the gym anymore and you want to go home after like 10 minutes, you've at least got in a workout that is going to have incorporated the whole body and a number of muscle groups because you've done the compound exercises and these are also the movements that are going to burn the most amount of calories. Remember to listen to your body. It's so key for any of this. Listen to what your body is telling you. If it hurts after the first workout back in the gym, maybe take a rest day. If you feel something pulling when you're trying to lift a certain number of weights, then lower the weights. You know, your body is going to give you signals. It's smart. It's clever. It knows what it needs to be doing. So listen to it. I recommend around five to 12 reps with a moderate weight to start with when you first go back into the gym. You can focus on power and speed of the movements or slow down the tempo. You don't have to go super slow and easy on yourself just because you haven't done it in a while. Damage is largely caused when tendons are stretched and compressed against surrounding structures and stress increases as your speed, power or range of movement increases. So any of these will work to challenge the muscles. Make sure that you have a full range of movement in any of the lifts, whether that is a fast lift, a slow lift, whatever rep range you're using. It's necessary to make the right muscle damage to cause it to grow properly. You don't want to be doing half reps because that's pointless. Without muscle damage or without proper muscle damage, you won't make much progress and your body's not going to adapt to very much because you're not giving it full reps to adapt to. And remember, remember, remember that there are other factors to muscle growth, not just your workouts. You've got to think about your diet. Are you eating enough protein? Are you getting enough calories to grow? You need to sleep well. Six to eight hours a night is recommended. Are you recovering? Are you giving yourself rest days? Are you doing anything for active recovery? Are you foam rolling? Are you going in the steam room? All this kind of stuff. So think about everything as a whole, not just your training. With that being said, that's the end of this episode. I really hope it wasn't too boring with a lot of the science and I kind of cut out half of my notes because I realised that a lot of it is just unnecessarily biochemistry based, which is obviously what I love because I've done a degree in it, but I know that a lot of people don't give a shit about that. So hopefully I kept in the interesting bits only. If you enjoyed, I would love, 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 like I said at the start, for you to leave me a review over on iTunes. If you're interested in health, nutrition, or recovery coaching, check out my website, finding-my-fit.com. Gonna link that in the show notes alongside my book and all my social medias. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you in the next one.